You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. So we, we finished the three-week series asking the question, what do you do with your emotions? How do you process your emotions from a biblical perspective? And we've been looking at how you pray your tears, how you pray your fears, and this morning we look at how you pray your doubts. And the reason we've been looking at how the Bible talks about how to deal with your emotions is that it's radically different from the rest of the world. The world says, on one hand, if you haven't been with us, the world stuffs their doubts. The world uh, stuffs their emotions. They stuff their doubts. Uh, people in the world, stuffing doubts is the sort of person that says, I've got doubts about things. I've just got to believe. I've just got to have faith. I've just got to pray harder. And then you have people on the other side when it comes to doubt that are driven by their doubts. And sadly, most of those people are not here with us this morning, if we're real. It's a heartbreak as a pastor where you see people move out of the church because they've been hit by their doubts. They've become a slave to their doubts. And they've given up on the faith. The question is, how do you find the balance in between? Because what we'll see here in the message this morning is that as a Christian in particular, you can be at either ends of the spectrums at times in your journey. And more importantly, doubts often parade themselves as an intellectual issue. But we'll see this morning that it's a lot deeper than just an intellectual issue. Always starts off as an intellectual thing, but I've done enough Christianity explained with people who are sceptical to realise most of the time it's not intellectual. And so we're going to look at how does the Bible help us deal with doubt. In Psalm 73, we have here someone, Asaph, a, a, a psalmist as we would call him, saying, surely God is being good. And then, bang, I've got doubts. I've got doubts. So what about him? What are we going to learn this morning? We're going to look at the need for doubts, why they're so essential. We're going to look at uh, the fact that uh, doubts do come along. What are the causes of doubts? What are doubts? What are their causes? And what's the, what's the cure for the doubts that we have? The first thing we learn just by the existence of this psalm in here, this is not a psalm of praise. This is not a psalm of lament that we've had in the prior weeks. This is a psalm of someone who is saying that they doubt that God is there with them. And so if they doubt that God is with them, the first thing we learn this morning is, and it's presence in the Bible, it's okay to have doubts. It's okay, okay to have doubts because anyone particularly who's approaching Christianity, and that might be you here this morning, what's been so encouraging here is that people have been inviting their friends along or friends have said, I want to come to church or, oh, you're preaching on tears and fears. I've never heard a church that talks about that sort of stuff. So some people have invited their friends and anyone who is approaching Christianity naturally is going to ask questions like, well, how do I know that there's a God? And how do, how do I deal with the suffering and the injustice that I see in the world? And what you need to hear from us is that's totally natural. That's okay. Uh, but also, the fact that this is in the Bible, who's writing this? Asaph, a biblical writer. He, he's spiritual. I'm a spiritual guy, but I never got anything in the Bible. right? So this is a spiritual guy writing spiritual things who is doubting. And what that shows us this morning is that doubt is not just for the skeptics. Doubt is not just for the unbelievers, but in fact, doubt is for the believers too. Doubts happen to everyone, and that's okay. Now, here's the reason why we've got to um, really grasp this as Christians, and we've got to hold on to this paradigm as Christians here in church. It's the boy in the bubble principle. It was a great uh, made-for-TV series back in 1976 called The Boy in the Bubble with a young John Travolta. It was about uh, Todd Lubitsch 
Uh, he had, grew up with an autoimmune disease, and so uh, once he moved out of the Texas hospital, he had to live his whole life in this bubble, in this spacesuit, uh, because he would die from the various diseases that are around him. And he grows up through school, and, he, and then he falls in love with Gina next door, and, and the big climax of the series is that he, he's got to work out whether or not he's going to step out of his bubble and, and embrace Gina and, and live life happily ever after, but then he's also going to be uh, living with the risk that it could cost him his life. Because he's grown up the whole time in, the Bible, in this bubble. Uh, Christians can live exactly the same way. And what I mean by that is that there are churches out there that say, oh, don't ask questions about your faith. It's almost driven from this, they need this sense of psychological certainty that, oh, you know, don't, don't raise any questions in connection group. Oh, you might, you might rattle us a little bit. And the, the, the challenge with that is that those sorts of churches, when you don't talk about doubts in your, in your faith and it's just believe and just pray harder, all you're doing is perpetuating inherited beliefs. And funnily enough, that's what we see when people come out of that environment and they move out into the real world. Sadly, people fall away because they go out and they, they realise that they can't stand up to the criticisms of the faith that they have. And so in other words, a faith without doubts is like a body without antibodies in it. You know how immunizations work. You, you inject something into your system that could almost kill you. <laughs> but the whole process being, if you just inject small amounts, then your body can wrestle with that and fight that, and correspondingly your body becomes stronger. And so when we come into a dynamic community that allows us to talk through these doubts... We grow stronger and we move out into the world outside of our own bubbles, no longer perpetuating our own beliefs, and we can deal with the things that come at us. By the way, side note in all of this, not the notes, but here's the other thing that happens with churches that are too like this in their bubble, is that they're the ones that become obnoxious Christians. You know, the, one, the ones that are always having a go at people, because often, we're in, with, a, with a lack of immunity in your faith, um, the best form of defence is often attack. That's why they're obnoxious, because they've been living in a bubble. So, where this might be affirming, if you're a sceptic, then you're saying, if you think that, oh, to be a sceptic and an unbeliever this morning and a non-Christian this morning means that you're on the outside and you're the minority and you're the one that's different and everyone's going to look at you. No, we've all got our doubts. So, welcome. Um, we've all got our doubts. The question is, how do we get out of our bubbles? Because the thing this morning and the significance of doubts is both the believer and the non-believer have a moral and, uh, and an ethical responsibility to, to process their doubts, an intellectual responsibility to examine their doubts and their beliefs. And the best way for that to happen, to come out of the bu bubble, is what if, what if both the sceptics and the believers got together in an environment that was open and genuine and loving and encouraged this, and so you could wrestle this out. Because sceptics live in bubbles too. They can be called universities. And they can be dinner tables. Newtown. Uh, we, we know the types. Where, where the whole life is in their own bubble. Christians are not the only ones that live in bubbles. And so I say to the sceptic, hey, what if we could have an open learning community where we just thrashed it out together? Um, then you would both have the opportunity to express and examine the doubts that you have about your faith and then the doubts that you have about God. The question for us this morning is, what if we could become one of those places? 
What if we could become one of those communities? I, I think we are becoming one of those communities. But the first point this morning is, do you guys see the need for doubts? The significance of doubts? Uh, you've got to have them. It's, it's, otherwise, you're not immunised. And you need to get immunised. Uh, that's the need for doubts. Now the question then is, well, what, what is doubt? What is doubt? And is it purely an intellectual issue? Look, the psalmist gives us a great picture of it here. Verse 1 through to 3. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. And it's funny language, isn't it? My foothold. Um, that's climbing language. That's not standing out in the car park language. That's up the side of a mountain language. That is clips, belays, harness, the whole lot. That's slipped off the side of the mountain language. I, I nearly lost my foothold. And in biblical terms, that, that's the psalmist using the imagery to say, there came a point in my life where my doubts were so severe, I felt I was on the edge of the precipice. And I was, just, I was just teetering. And so it shows us quickly what doubt is. Doubt is a form of spiritual dizziness. Where what you have seen confuses your brain so you miss the next step. A form of spiritual dizziness where what you have seen confuses your brain so you miss the next step. That's what doubt is. So the question is, how does that come about? Because I'm surely some of you have been in those moments. Things happen. You see stuff. And that's exactly what happens for the psalmist here when we ask, how do the doubts come about? But as for me, I'd all, I nearly lost my foothold. Why? For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What the psalmist is saying here is there's actually, there's actually something here that I saw that created the doubt. Which is important. What the psalmist is not saying is uh, that, that it happened like this. You know, it, it, it doesn't happen like this today either. But it's not the scenario where it's like, you know what, I've been a Christian for years and, and uh, I decided to go for a walk or I, I took a course at TAFE or at university and I realised that there are a whole range of other religions out there and a whole range of other different thoughts and I just woke up one morning and I thought, you know what, Christianity is not for me. Now, I can tell you as a pastor... Still relatively new to the whole process, but doing enough years. That's not how people lose their faith. I'm not sure if you've seen the same thing, but people don't lose their faith. Oh, I just woke up, thought, yeah, nah, Christianity, hit and miss, not for me. <laughs> people, something happens. And, and this, is, this process from the Psalms is exactly what happens for us today. And what happened, actually, it's quite embarrassing. It's quite embarrassing what happens. It's embarrassing to include. That's why we did the reading in two parts, because... The bit that happened was, well, it pretty much looks like some of the culture that we look at today. Verse 4 through to 11. Oh, I saw them, these people, they've got no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the common burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. They scoff, they speak with malice, with arrogance and threaten opposition. They, they turn, uh, pe- they, uh, therefore their people turn to them. They drink up waters in abundance. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. Their, ca- callous, their callous hearts out of, the, out of them comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. He's, he's watching a whole bunch of, of beautiful, unbelieving people living a great life. 
Part of it's embarrassing because it's, for, for many of us, that's, that's a picture of what you could see on the lower North Shore or the eastern suburbs of Sydney. A lot of the context that we minister into. Here's what's come into the psalmist's life. The psalmist just didn't see people. The psalmist saw injustice. Why do the beautiful, wealthy, rich people always get their way? And so that's the context of what the psalmist sees in all of this. Surely God's good, but this is not fair. This is not fair. Anyone had any of those moments in life? I see this all the time as a pastor. And this is why I say people just don't wake up out of bed and throw the faith away. Good friends that have been with us at Northside that have moved on. Often it happens this way, that I knew God to be good and then something came into my life. Something came in. There was suffering. I thought God was good. I thought God was, was giving me the job that I was going for. I made it through all the interviews and it didn't happen. Surely was, he was good. That's not fair. I've seen people here and a child has run off the rails And I I thought God was good and I was praying over my home the entire time and I raised them in a godly home and this happened to me. Something's come in. And the point is this, the point is this, that doubt is never just an intellectual issue. Doubt masquerades as an intellectual issue, but it's actually quite a personal issue. Uh, Doubts uh, are never just an intellectual problem. They never seem to be just about thinking something has come in And has happened to you that's caused the spiritual dizziness. And here's what doubts are. Doubts come in when your personal experience causes your your mind, causes what your mind knows to be true to become unreal to your heart. The spirit doubts come in when 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 your personal experience causes what your mind knows to be true unreal to your heart. Does that make sense? That I've lived this, I've read this, I know this, I sense this. But this is not adding up, Lord. This is not fair. A practical example, you know, you see it when um, girls go out with guys and they're looking for a new guy. And all, all the girls say, oh, don't go out with him. He's a player. You know, um, for the older members of the congregation, that means he's not a very nice guy. Um, doesn't mean he's good at sport. And she says, I know, I know, I'm not going to be one of those women. I know, I know, I'm going to put my guard up, I'm sensible. And then they go out for dinner and there's candlelight, and there's nice music. It's a lovely restaurant, smooth words. And then suddenly everything that girls had always said that she was agreeing with in the first place um, starts to dissolve away as she's staring into the eyes of a dreamy. Now, the question, has, has the information changed from the girls? No. Is he still a player? Yes. What's happening? The girls, the girls are on audio, but McDreamy's on video. <laughs> That's what's happening. Now, um, has it happened to you? I'm not talking about McDreamy. Um, has it happened to you when we move to these moments? Doubt arises when, when God's on audio and life's on video. And the health and the job and the suffering and the discomforts and all the things that are happening. Has the information changed? No. Is anything different? No. Nothing's changed just the, the way that you're seeing that. Doubt, doubts happen when what you see causes what your mind knows to be true unreal to your heart. 
And that's how they come about. Doubts happen when, when, when God's on audio, life's on video, and as a result, disorientation. You're like, you're like Sylvester Stallone in Cliffhanger. And you're on the, 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 the last hold, and you feel, you stare down, and you think, my faith's going to go. That's how doubts come about. So, what do we do? How do we deal with that? If we're in the, Maybe some of you are in the midst of that at the moment. Uh, some of you don't have to be Christian to be in the midst of this, right, as well. Uh, that you could be having doubts about God and about Christianity because uh, you are experiencing the same sorts of suffering and you don't think that there can be a God because if there was a God, I wouldn't be going through this junk. So how do we deal with it? Here's the first way, and this is applicable both for Christians and non-Christians, for the believers and the skeptics. This is the way that we burst out of our bubbles. The first thing is you need to distill your doubt. What I mean by distill is, you know, if you a latte distills in a way. I've got to think of an illustration that's applicable to Northside Community Church. Um, you see the way a latte distills, and if you, it all gets frothed up, and if it sits there on the table enough, then it, it eventually separates into two separate layers. Have you seen that dynamic? Now you've got to distill your doubts and you have to recognise that there are layers to your doubts. And you actually have to play fair when you have doubts, both sceptic and believer. And what I mean by that is that if you're having doubts about your faith or if you're having doubts about Christianity, then you need to play fair. You need to doubt your doubts. If you doubt your faith, not only doubt your faith, but doubt your doubts. Doubt whatever you're believing in that means you can't believe in God, and we'll talk about that in a sec, but here's, here's what I mean from the Psalms. And the psalmist is unreal. The psalmist has the gumption to call it. Because the, the psalmist says in verse 3, for, here's why he's having doubts, for I envied the arrogant. Now here's the question. Do you think if the life was going really well for the psalmist, for Asaph, do you think he'd be having doubts? Do you think that if he was looking beautiful and had all the riches and the wealth that he would be writing this psalm? Probably not. And he's at least got the gumption to call it and say, the reason that I have doubts is that I looked at all of these people and I envied them. The reason I have doubts is because I saw all the stuff that they had and I just wanted a piece of the pie that they were eating from. And so here's the point that we're making. Um, Doubts are never just an intellectual issue. You need to distill your doubts. In other words, doubts always come with impure motives. You actually need to look at what's the motive behind your doubt. If if you're doubting God or you have doubts in your faith, what's the motive behind it? Because, look, some people on one hand will go and stuff their doubts and they say, okay, I just need to to believe, I just need to have more faith, I just need to pray harder. And then other people out here are going to be slaved to their doubts and they're going to bust out of faith communities uh, or they're going to become an eternal skeptic over here. But you actually have to come to the middle and distill your doubts and look at the layers of all of this and say, is it really just an intellectual issue? I see these layers all the time when I do Christianity Explained. People go, oh, how do I know the Bible's true? Or how do I know, how can I prove that God is there? And how do I know that this is real? And how, how do I know when it says that there's murder in the Old Testament? Now, look, we could have hours of conversation about all of those things, and there are answers to all of that. But the question I often ask them is this, at the end of it. I say to them, have you got a problem with Christianity because it's too intellectual? Or because it's too personal. 
that when you hear about this Jesus Christ guy who says, leave all that you have behind and come and follow me. Uh, don't, don't be the big boss of your life anymore. Let me be the big boss. Have you got a, is that an intellectual issue or is that a personal issue for you? And more often than not, it comes down to the motivations. They enjoy being the boss of their own life. They, they don't want to play fair. And that's what I'm saying. If you want to be sceptical about Christianity as a non-believer, I've got to ask you are, are you, are you analysing your own fundamental beliefs that are in opposition to Christianity as much as you're scrutinising Christianity? Are you, are you just playing fair? I guess this is the first one. You need to distill your doubts. Here's the second thing that you've got to do. You've got to analyse your footholds. Verse 18. Analyse your footholds. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. You place them on slippery ground. It's exactly the same imagery again that's coming from the psalmist. Mountain climbing. It slips away. And look, this has been crucial for me. The faith footholds. Uh, It's been crucial for me in my faith journey. But here's what I've come to realize. Uh, Doubts are never a lack of faith. Because you've already got faith in something else. Doubts never are a lack of faith. Um, It's just an alternate uh, belief system to what you really have faith in. For example, let's get simple here. If if I doubt that I can jump a three-meter gap, if I doubt that, it's not because I lack faith. I've got just total faith in my own abilities. And I know that there's no way that I'm going to jump three metres. I've got faith I could jump two, but I can't jump three. I don't like faith. I just have a fundamental faith in this. And so when you analyse your footholds, come back to the picture here of the psalmist. They're on the mountain edge and they're saying, hang on, no, I looked at it. You know what? Like I almost lost my foothold, but at least mine's solid as opposed to slippery. And so in other words, when you're mountain climbing like that and you slip, you, you've, he's saying, I still at least had one foothold when I slipped. I still had something that was firm. In other words, the, the psalmist is saying in practical terms to the skeptic, what's your alternative? What's your alternative to the suffering in the world? What's your alternative to the discomfort in your life? What's your alternative uh, to the pains that you're feeling? What's the alternative to the missed goals and ambitions? What's your alternative to that? Because in some ways a Christian says, there is an incredible resource in the foothold that is Christianity that allows me not to be immune from suffering and pain and discomfort and the things that I see that cause me to doubt, but at least I have a resource that allows me to move through those things. And thank you, Lord, even in the midst of doubt, and when I'm questioning it, I have a resource. So in other words, you you never choose between belief and unbelief. If you're a skeptic this morning, you have heaps of faith. You have plenty of faith. You're using it all the time. You're doing it now without thinking about it. You're sitting on these chairs. They're 10 years old. That thing could buckle underneath you at any point in time. Just ask the building and infrastructure committee. (laughs) You're all exercising lots of faith. Let me get a little bit more serious. Here's the poster boy of atheism, Richard Dawkins. From the pages of his God delusion. I don't know for certain, but I think the notion of God is very improbable. And so I live my life on the assumption that he is not there. What is that? That's a faith statement. I live my life on the assumption that he's not there. Can can Dawkins prove that there's no God? Dawkins can't prove prove that there's no God any more than, than they spit... Those statements at us saying prove that he's there. 
And so it's a faith statement. And so look, if you're saying this morning, I'm not sure of Christianity. All I'm saying is are you analysing your foothold? A doubt in Christianity, a doubt in belief A is actually total faith in belief B. Is that making sense? I'm not getting too intellectual, are we? Right, that's cool. Okay, so analyse, you've got to analyse your footholds. Here's the last thing to come out of it because some people are going, you know what, you lost me, Sam. It's too intellectual, it's too apologetic. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going through this stuff. I've seen stuff in my life. There is suffering in my life that, uh, look, I, I seriously don't know if God is there or not. Or if he is there, I'm flipping angry at him. Stephen Fry is another famous atheist from the UK. Fascinating interview that I saw on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. And someone said to him, Stephen, you're a staunch atheist. Look, say there is a God, what would you say to him? Come up to the gates of heaven, just hypothesize with us, Stephen. What would you say to him? And here was Fry's response. He, he, he just starts burst, bur- bursting out. He says, I would say to him, how dare you? How dare you? There are animals in Africa somewhere that come in and and, and insects that eat the eyeballs of children out. There is injustice. There is evil in the world. There is all this sort of stuff. How dare you? I refuse to believe in you that there would be a God like that. And here would be my response to Fry on, on Facebook. If you don't believe a God, that there is a God, then what right do you have to get so angry? Because if there is no God, then we're all just, those little kids are just a bunch of atoms. And that insect is a bunch of atoms and everyone's got equal rights to be eating whoever. That's survival of the fittest. You see, his anger and his frustration and his passion uh, was was the very betrayal of his atheism. Because he was declaring to be that there must be some higher moral order and some higher sense of right and wrong. And so like a petulant child, he's appealing to the father, how dare you let this happen? He has no right to be angry. No atheist has a right to be angry of the injustices that we have in the world. And so when you come in and against these things that are happening and you're feeling that for the believer and the unbeliever, here's the third thing and the last thing you need to do. You just got to rest in your restlessness. If that's where you are this morning, verse 21, what a beautiful verse. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, haven't we ever felt like that in the midst of these challenges and wrestles with God? When I was grieved and bitter, I was senseless and ignorant. Again, I love the self-revelation of this psalmist, at least calls it how it is. I was a brute beast before you, and yet I'm always with you, and you hold me by my right hand. Now look, if, if you... If you start distilling your doubts and analysing your footholds, you can get through all of that. But the fundamental question comes, particularly if you're a sceptic and and you move beyond the Stephen Fry's of this world and you begin to ask, what if God is real? That's what you've got to ask. What if God is real? Because Blaise Pascal was one of the great scientists of the world. He, he, uh, killer pascals, you know, when you fill up your tyres every every time at the garage. I think of my Christian brother, Blaise Pascal who was a scientist who became a Christian, he says this, God is or he is not. A game is being played where heads or tails will turn up. According to reason, you can defend neither the propositions. You must wager. It's not optional. See the whole thing of you're always making a belief statement? You can't, you can't be in a world that lacks faith here. You either are or you are. Let, let us weigh the gain and the loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate these two chances. 
If it's right, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation that he is and that he exists. There is here an infinity of infinitely happy life to gain, a chance of gain against a finite number of chances of loss. And what you stake is finite. And so our proposition is of infinite force when when there is the finite to stake in a game where there are equal risks of gain and loss and there is the infinite to gain. Only a scientist and a mathematician could come to God like that, don't you reckon? (laughs) You see what he's saying in simple terms? If God is, you have everything to gain. And if he's not, well, he's not even been that sceptical. He's saying, so what? Um, And this is the question for us, both believers and unbelievers. If God is, like Pascal says, it's not just, well, what if he's real? But it's, what if I meet him? And not only that, for many people, and why doubts become personal is, what is he going to do with me when I meet him? And here's what we see in the psalm. When I was bitter, when I was grieved, when I was senseless and ignorant, you were there. You were patient. You were gracious. You were there. It's the most wonderful piece of news for any skeptic that has been living their life in doubt about Christianity and how God might deal with them. That if you're a skeptic, maybe this morning you are the person who says, I just got to be real. Yeah, I've been bitter and ignorant towards God. And what you will find is if you move into that point that a God who is patient and gracious and says to the person this morning where everything in your, your, your heart, because your eyes have seen it, everything within you screams, life is not fair. Everything within you is Stephen frying the world. How dare you? Everything within you says, how can I possibly be going through this suffering? How can you possibly be a good God if I'm going through And all of this and you rage against him and you're bitter towards him? And what do you find? A God that's gracious. That's holding your hand. We're, we're like children at Warringah Mall. Yeah, we are. We're spiritual children. Frustrated that we didn't get our own agenda or we've been pulled off the Thomas the Tank Engine ride too early. And, and, and we fight against our, our father and we fight against his hand. And when, when all of the tears are done and we're, you, 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 you know, those sorts of cries, you, 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 you know, the cries we've sort of calmed to the point of at least being reasonable. You, you at least revel in the presence of your father. I love the Psalms, don't you? I love the realness and the rawness of them. Maybe some of you I think like that with him this morning. And he holds your hand. The reason is because, and if it's any comfort for you this morning as a believer, or if you want to see how amazing Christianity is as, as a skeptic, we people were not the first ones to experience spiritual dizziness, spiritual vertigo when it came to doubts. There was someone who experienced the ultimate spiritual vertigo. There was someone whose, whose experience and personal personal experience and the pains in his life came in and caused a dizziness that was cosmic and we understood that we saw that in his doubts when he looked up to his father in heaven he said my god my god why have you forsaken me on the cross jesus christ experienced the ultimate spiritual dizziness and the difference between his story and our story is he reached up for the hand and it wasn't there that God, God, lets, God let go of his hand so he could make sure that he'd never let go of our hand. 
Jesus Christ went through that vertigo for you and I so we could see that the ultimate Father is here to be with us and to hold us in the midst of our doubts. Look, church, can we just get something here this morning? It's okay to have doubts. It's going to happen. It's natural. So the question is, are we just distilling that? Are we being real with our doubts? Are we being analytical about our doubts? Are we moving out of the buffles? Are we analysing our footholds? Are we looking at the things that we're really standing upon? Most of all, maybe we've just got to rest in the restlessness uh, that we all have this morning. Um, Pascal, all those sorts of great thinkers, often it's the ones that have had the greatest doubts. Thomas, the disciple, those with the greatest doubts often move into the greatest revelation of the gospel. If you doubt Christianity this morning, can you just be, uh, can we just all be fair? If you're a skeptic with us this morning, um, are, you, are you applying the same level of insight and, and, and passion and energy? Uh, into your own fundamental belief systems as you are in rejecting Christianity. Uh, Believers, uh, it's okay. May we sit, wrestle, rest with him, knowing that in those moments when we are ignorant and bitter and grieving towards him, (laughs) he has us by the hand. Let's pray.